Chapter 1, in the perspective of Jack. Jack, get in the car, shouted Mum. One sec, Mum, said Jack at his window. He ran over to his cupboard, grabbed his jacket and coin, given to him by a son of Zeus, Jason, and he ran out the door, down the stairs, and into the front yard of his apartment in central Manhattan. Once in the car, his mum gave him the look of disgust that she always gave him when driving him to Camp Half-Blood. I hate doing this, she muttered to herself, which was understandable. She hated everything to do with Jack's dad, her ex-husband. He had left when only Jack was three months. This was, of course, because he was Zeus. Still, he couldn't blame her. He put his earbuds in and slowly drifted off to sleep. Chapter 2. The Perspective of Jack When Jack woke up, his mum was shaking him. We're here, she said. Jack looked excitedly out the window. He grabbed his backpack. See at the end of summer, he said to his mum, hugging her. He wandered through the gates of camp to hear screams and the golden fleece, the magical magical fleece keeping the barrier around camp, was gone. He pulled out his coin and flipped it. It extended into a sword. He dropped his bag and ran to see what all the fuss was about. He saw monsters everywhere. He looked around and heard a thud behind him. Ethan, he snarled. Jack, replied Ethan. Jack twisted around and engaged in a sword fight. Jack twisted and slashed at Ethan, who was the son of Hades. He managed to knock Ethan over, but as soon as he hit the floor, he disintegrated into dust, as well as all the monsters he had brought with him. The hell was that? said Jack. Gather round, shouted Percy Jackson, son of Poseidon, calling everyone in. We've seen the worst of Ethan's wrath today. We need to find him. Jack will come with me. Any objections? Percy scanned the group with his sea green eyes. None, said Jack. Good, we leave tomorrow morning at dawn. Dawn came a lot faster than Jack had thought. By the time he had eaten dinner and changed from his blood-stained clothes, he looked outside and the sun was rising. He quickly packed his bag and ran out the Zeus dorm. He ran to the gate of camp. Chapter 3, in the perspective, Jack. Once on the road, Jack tried to get his head around what was happening. Why did Ethan want the Golden Fleece? Whatever he needed for it, Jack and Percy needed to stop him before he did something stupid. Jack suddenly felt a sudden urge to scream. There was a loud thud outside the car. Percy moved the car out of the way. There was a big black creature in front of the car. Percy slammed the wheel to Percy slammed the wheel to the left, veering directly into a tree. Ugh Percy groaned. You okay? said Jack, rolling onto his back to kick kick the car door open. Yeah, all good. Percy. Jack kicked as hard as he could, booting the car door open. Climb out here, said Jack. Once they were out of the car, they looked around to find the massive black creature charging at him. The Minotaur, Percy said with a grave look in his eyes. We need to kill it, Jack said, and together Percy and Jack charged at the beast. Chapter, five, uh, chapter 4, in the perspective of Ethan. Standing at the base of Olympus, Ethan felt so close to what he had dreamed of for years. He knew his old friend Jack would never forgive him for what he was about to do. Put the coven in front of me, Ethan said, as he pointed to where he wanted the box. The army of monsters shuffled nervously as Ethan put the golden fleece on the box. The box began to shake violently. Ethan stepped forward and said, Lord Kronos, how may we serve you? Stop right there, said a familiar voice. Ethan turned. God damn it, Jack, Ethan muttered, watching a minotaur charging at his army. Chapter 6 Uh, Chapter 5, in the perspective of Percy. Fighting off Kronos was not the way Percy expected to spend his summer. He and Jack flew at top speed riding the Minotaur they had managed to tame. 
The Minotaur agreed to help him fight Cronus because he had teamed up with the Titans the last two times there was a war between Titans and Gods, and he lost. How do you think we can defeat? How do you think you can defeat my army with one Minotaur? Smirked Ethan. The Minotaur grunted as if laughing. You can't win, Ethan said as his monsters began to jeer. Suddenly, the Minotaur stopped in his tracks and let out a massive roar. Ethan's expression changed very quickly as an army of undead spirits riding hellhounds rose out of the pits of hell. The Minotaur let out another roar and the hellhounds charged. Charge! yelled Ethan. Percy whispered in, his, in the ear of his Minotaur. Take us to Ethan. The Minotaur started to run through the battling monsters, dropping Jack and Percy next to Ethan, who was tending the, the Chronos. He was about to fight Kronos, King of Titans. As soon as Kronos' coffin started to stop shaking, he saw a glimpse of the future. He saw Kronos rising. They needed to stop him immediately. Kronos was building strength with the help of the Golden Fleece. He, he needed to be stopped. It's over, said Jack. Not yet, said Ethan, pulling out two twin swords. Jack charged first instantly to be absorbed by Kronos's coffin and spat back out, landing headfirst onto the ground next to Ethan. Sorry, Jack, he said, pulling one of his swords down for the kill. That suits the perspective of Jack. Jack honestly had no clue what happened. One minute he was talking to his dad, next he was fighting Kronos. As the metal on Ethan's sword touched him, a lightning bolt struck him. He felt an urge of power run through his veins. He grew about three feet taller than what he originally was, and heard the voice of his dad. There was no doubt. There was no doubt his dad Zeus. Rise, Amethius, god of demi uh, god of the demigods, said Zeus. Chapter seven: In the perspective of Amethius. Jack. Amethius looked around to find Percy on the ground, struggling to get up. Ethan had almost absorbed Kronos's full power. He was now about the same size as Amethius, and growing very quickly. Hey, Ethan, said Amethius. Ethan looked, and Jackson pulled the, the flat of his sword on Ethan's head. Ethan stumbled backwards. Amethius slashed open coffin, Coronus's coffin. The giant Ethan crumbled away, revealing a dying body. Amethius transformed back into, into the regular Jack and ran over to Ethan. Ethan, said Jack. He almost threw up. Jack, I did the wrong thing. Whatever happens, we will always be friends. Always, Amethius agreed. Ethan died in his arms. Amethius turned to, Pe to Percy. Thanks, Percy, for everything. Percyus rose his sword to him as Amethius rose into, back into his full size and ascended to Olympus to become a full Olympian god. The end. I brought the phone to my ear, tears welling up. I'm coming home, he said. After five years, my brother Zane would be released from prison, and I couldn't wait. My name was Fox Swift, and I go to school at Timber Creek High School, a school of menace. I live in the western suburbs of Victoria with my grandparents, and soon to be the rest of my family. Dad's coming home tomorrow, I tell my brother, who is, sitting, who is now sitting on the couch watching TV. He doesn't respond, and instead points to the TV in shock. Breaking news. 
Flight QA-12374 has just been abducted by a strange monster. My jaw dropped and my heart sunk. Dad! I exclaimed. That's why my grandma came in telling us we needed to go. She gave us a key with Greek symbols on it and a glowing box. I removed the lid with uncertainty and it revealed a crumpled old white note floating in the box. I questioned it, but all she said was go. I followed the steps on the note and find myself saying words in a pitch black room side by side with Zane and my monkey. I watch in fear as a white portal opens up underneath us and whispers, This is the end of you. The rest was a blur and I'm now standing inside a hidden temple in a special world, unaware of all the traps that lie in front of me. Curious as always, Mike, my monkey, starts exploring, setting foot on a hidden panel, sending arrows in both directions. I dive for him and in midair, I wait for the pain, but it doesn't come. Recovering from the fall, I get up to see my brother using some sort of water power to stop the arrows. He casually releases the force, helps me up and checks to see if I'm okay like nothing happened. Even more questions are formed. We continue on through the temple, searching for a clue or hint, but nothing was brought to our attention. We were oblivious of the lightning bolt signs on the arrows and knew nothing about our next trial. Zeus, god of the sky, sat in his throne 50 metres from where we were, as if he knew we were coming. He takes his lightning bolt and throws them everywhere. The amount of dodging we did was insane. With no source of power, we attempt to fight back, lobbing random objects that lay in a spacious temple. I leap out with my monkey right behind me and grab the sword on display. Zane follows from behind and we set off for Zeus. His emotions now fuming. I swing right then left, then right then left, over and over again, attempting to knock him down. Slowly but surely, I take out his legs and send him plunging to his death. There he lay, breathless, as I wonder where to go next. The key fits like a charm, I said, opening a door to what seems like nothing. As usual, Mike goes first through the door and I'm right on his heels. The door led to the underworld of doom and the view messed with my mind. Lava was everywhere and there were many destroyed buildings with dying souls and screaming girls lurking inside. In the corner of my eye, I could see what we were here for. Dad! The plane hovered over the lava and the gods stood nearby laughing. It was now or never. There is no next time. We had to fight. Hades, Hermes, Poseidon and Athena all stood in battle formation preparing for war. I should have thought twice. The sword was still in my hand and my emotions got the best of me. I ditched the Zane and Mike for more important matters, trying to invade the gods' area. My fighting skills were no match for their powers, and I was tossed around, punched, kicked, stabbed, and beaten. I had no hope. I have no power. I have no speed nor strength. I have no agility nor reflexes. I am useless. Doubt and failure was getting to me, but I just couldn't give up. That's when it happened. Everything changed from this point. A trail of water was heading towards me from Poseidon, followed by a shrine, and in complete confusion, I snatched the weapon, knowing nothing about it, hoping it was an advantage.
I had no time to lose. Using all the tools I had, I went to fight once again, expecting a better result. I used the trident to stab Poseidon, my sword to take out Hades, and my fist to eliminate Hermes. Mike and Zane finished them off. It was down to Athena and I, mother and son, battling for dad. I tried left, then right, useless against the shield, but I couldn't let it stop me. She stabbed my shoulder with her mighty spear, putting me in excruciating pain. Feeling around for the ground, on the ground for my sword, I seemed to touch something rather odd. I could fit my whole hand in it. I turn around to see my fist clenched up inside Mike's mouth. Suddenly, I feel a power run through my veins, as if Mike's mouth is my source of power. Water came to my hands. Water got behind me. The water followed what I did. I am the new Poseidon. I am the new god of water. Using this power behind me, I forcefully sweep Athena off her feet, drowning her with the force. I rushed towards her, tempted to check for a pulse, and whisper in her ear, Why did you do this to me? I ran for the plane and found who I was looking for straight away. Dad! I scream in excitement. I grab his arm and head for the door that led us here, hoping we could get back that way. He seems voiceless, as all I received was a concerning look. Athena, still recovering from the fight earlier, was lying next to the door, and as I jumped through, I noticed that Dad had dragged her straight through the door. Completely discombobulated, I process what to do next. Five years later, the birds are chirping, the sun is out, as my mum and I throw the frisbee back and forth. My name is Fox Swift, and I am the President of America. My mum and dad are now officially married, my brother worked for an anti-bullying company, and the mystery of the plane abduction has been solved. Turns out, I'm Poseidon's son, and so is Zane, but now I live in a penthouse in Monaco that is worth around $327 million. The god life like I could have had was denied by my parents, as our family has officially retired from ancient Greek mythology. My life is now a dream, a dream of happiness. It was another rough day at school, and to make things worse, I need to go back to the boarding dorms and finish this crummy homework Mr. Demo gave me. I felt like in geography, the only thing I heard him say was James, James. On a brighter note, the teacher said that we are having pasta tonight and I get to go outside and play sport with the other boarders at 6.30pm. Also, we go to the beach tomorrow because it's Saturday, second paragraph. Thank God it's Saturday, it's been a tough week. Swear Mr Demo has been acting odd lately. He's probably stressed stressed out because reports go out next week. We are sitting on the bus heading to the beach. I can't wait, it's 30 degrees. I'm sitting with my best friend Hugo, who I've known since day one. I sometimes feel sorry for him because he stays at boarding school a lot, even at Christmas, and he's always wearing long sleeves. Whenever, even when it's in summer. Third paragraph. We arrive, we arrive at the beach, and the one thing I want to do is jump in the water. But sunscreen. But first sunscreen. Sorry. I look over and see Mr. Demo dive into the water. He's under for 30 seconds. Oof. I see bubbles, and they are spreading at an alarming rate. 
I then see a massive, ugly, enormous, warty creature. Oh. Oh, where were we? Mr. Demo looks at me and says, Give it to me. I know you have it. It has to be in my hand in eight days, otherwise I demolish the whole boarding school. I look at Hugo, he grabs my arm. We need to go immediately. I ask why. And he tells me to follow him and he will explain. My head is spinning. I don't know what's going on. Fourth paragraph. He anyway. takes me to the rocks and tells me what I just saw was Poseidon and he wants to he wants what's in my hand. I don't understand. He grabs my hand and taps my middle knuckle. A little hole shapes in shaped in a circle appears in my hand and inside is a stone. Hugo says when you break this stone, you can make one wish and it and it will come true. I was in disbelief. I couldn't believe I've had this in my hand my entire life and not knowing. Hugo says our best bet is to go to him and say we are going to give it to him, but then kill him. He lives in the outer world. I'll do anything to save the boarding school. On the bus, heading back to school, I'm in shock. Hugo suggests that we leave this this afternoon because we don't have, we don't have long. I agree. After dinner... We, we will say we need to go to the toilet, been said. We run. It's risky, but we do it. Once dinner arrives, I am feeling nervous, but we stick to the plan and go to the toilet, say we are going to the toilet, but then we, um, but then we run. From there, we head out. Once at the gates, we, once we were far away from the gates, we catch a taxi to the other side of the city. When we arrive, we realise that we don't have enough money to pay, so we give the driver what we've got and run. Hugo tells me that the only way to get to the outer world is to travel to Italy, and in a museum we, we will find a magnetic field to jump a magnetic field to jump into, which will take us to the outer world. This is insane. I ask Hugo how we are, gr- are going to get to Italy. And he tells me that he has a plan. We were only about one kilometre away from the airport. So we walked. When we get there, we don't go through the entrance doors. Instead, we go around, around the airport to where the planes take off. Hugo says, when you see a plane, that has green, white, and red on it, we start to make our move. I look at him, trying to think of his plan, but I have no idea. We wait 20 minutes until we see the plane. Hugo says, see, see where they're putting the bags in? That's where, that's where we're going. Three, two, one. We run and jump. We run and we ran and jump in, but we didn't hear the door lock. We were in the air for about 30 minutes before the doors fly open and bags start flying out everywhere. I don't know what to do, Hugo. I don't know what to do. Hugo just goes to shut the doors, but the wind is too strong and pulls him out. Oh. 
He was holding onto the door. The door split. I managed to get the door shut. Here I was born. I sit there for the next two hours crying. When the plane stops, I grabbed Hugo's bag and ran. And ran. Until I come across the city. And I ran down an a lane before I see, before I stop to see what is in Hugo's bag. Sunglasses, notes, gum, oh, a map. That's the one. I looked at it and I realized it's a map of where I am. And I can see there is a museum circled on it. It's not far from where I am. It's it's 5 p.m. The, music close, the museum closes at 6 p.m. I waited and sne- I waited, then when the time came, I sneaked into the museum through a loose window. This, this place is huge. I only have t- 48 hours, so without hesitation, I opened the door and jumped in, in land, and land at a door that was dripping with water. And straight away, I knew where I was. I opened the door, and there it was. And there was water everywhere. Out of nowhere, I see Poseidon, and he says, "You have made it in time. Now catch me, otherwise you die." I nod my head and tap my middle knuckle, and it opens up. He smiles, but then he shuts his eyes and frowns. And behind him, I see his serpent. Wait, what? Why? What? Why? I say. I've been trapped here for years, and finally he's gone. I looked at her. Well, as long as you're doing my job, I'm cool with it. Now I had to make a decision. Bring Hugo back or teleport back to the boarding school with the rock. I made the decision to bring Hugo back. I break the rock and all of a sudden Hugo's in front of me. I hug him. He asks if I'm ready to go back to the boarding school. I refuse. I don't believe to show a gadget of some kind and to release the teleporting device. Three... Two, one. When I wake, it's Wednesday, and I'm in my bed. I get up, have breakfast, and go to school. Mr. Demo has left the school. Hugo and me look at each other and smile, because we know what happened that day. The end. Mac in the reign of President Herman. The hospital is nothing pleasant to look at. It's wet, cold, and the power cuts out every few minutes. Definitely no place for my mother. I wish there was better, but ever since President Herman's reign, there have been major changes. It all started when he was elected as Premier. Then came the Civil War. In only a few short days, we were a third world country. Toxins were being dumped into the town water supply to save a few measly dollars for a country's vile dictator. That's how my left arm was born so disgustingly disfigured. Now our country is constant. Ah, the baby, Mother Bellows. Bump. Ah, the baby, my Mother Bellows. You did great, the doctor tells her. Oh, oh Lord, the doctor murmurs. What is it, I ask? But as Mum and I lean in to see the baby, our expressions are nothing short of speechless. My baby sister is dead. 
She never even entered the world and she's already dead. My baby looks mangled. My mum blurts out through a face full of tears. This is too much, I yell. I'm out of here. I bolt out of that crap shack of a hospital, ignoring the calls of my mother. The streets of Melbourne are all a blur. I run like I've never run before, sprinting through the streets and swerving between cars with no regard for my safety. I don't know what I'm going to do and how I'm going to do it, but one thing I do know is where I'm going. Well, this is it, the Eureka Tower, recently repurposed as President Hammond's office. It's so empty around here. There's not a soul roaming around this entire block, except for that one girl, just sitting on the curb and oddly reading a book. I'll ignore her. I just need a way to get into this behemoth of a building. I do see some sort of barred window, but I don't have a chance of getting in. Where's my confidence at every step closer I take? Could I get in there, I think? I climb the rubbish bin one-handed, then I leap, flying high in the air. I somehow manage to catch the metal bars to my supplies. To my surprise. I never jump that high, I say out loud, because of the fact that I am utterly dumbfounded. Cut through the metal bars with my half-saw knife. If you're going to survive the streets of Melbourne... You can't leave the house unprotected. I toss myself inside of some sort of wet, pitch-black room that seems to be no bigger than a half-square metre. I'm stuck here, and there's no way out. My heart drops as I hear some murmuring. Then just like my heart, someone comes dropping down on me. I let out a massive scream that's soon to be silenced by... soon to be silenced. Shh, a female voice whispers. Flash lights up the room, and I see it's the girl from outside holding the flashlight and tucking a rope into her backpack. I feel like an idiot as I realise I'm in a toilet stall. I squeeze out of the stall and top myself upon the sink, having a drink from a water bottle. Thanks, I say. My name's Mac. No what? No worries. I'm Anna. But if we're going to be in one of the most dangerous buildings in the world, I've got to lay down a couple ground rules. One, you stick with me at all times. Two, stay quiet unless I say so. And three, you never touch my book. All right? All right, I say. We sat and talked for a while. She told me how she's here because her mother was killed while trying to flee the country. And I explained how the country's toxic water supply has crippled most of my family. We decided to get moving before we got tired. But as I walked to the bathroom door, a tall man dressed in black walked in here with a gun pointed between my eyes. What do we do now, Anna? I say in a voice crackled with fear. I said don't speak, she growls. Should have stayed home, kids, he says in a freakishly deep voice. He fires a shot from his result from his revolver, and as if it's nature to me, I dodge it with lightning speed reflexes. So does Anna. She brushes she brushes her shoulders with a smirk, she spins around and ran house kicked it to the floor. What was that? I yell. No time to explain, she blurts out quickly while unpacking her there. She then oddly pulls out the same old book from before. Do you have time to read? I say confused. Wait a minute. I can read that writing, I remark. This is ancient Greek. Where did you learn it? Anna says. I was lost for words. I couldn't explain it. I haven't, I reply. Oh my god, I thought I was the only one, Anna squeals. The only what? Let me explain. One day I was walking by the Eureka Tower and I found the, this book I could somehow read. 
But when I went home, I didn't understand a word it said. What this book says is that certain chosen children, or demigods as the book calls them, become stronger, smarter, and more agile while in the close proximity of a god, a certain god, Hermes. I was shocked. My jaw was practically dragging along the floor. So does that mean that President Herman is Hermes? Exactly, Banner replies. While prodding up the stairs of this massive tower, Anna stops me in my tracks. This floor is under surveillance. There is a camera stationed in every corner, she says. While talking to Anna about the plan, another dark, bulky man looms over us, and I hear her voice. I don't think so, she says. Everything goes black. I want to say I'm numb because I can feel my head being dragged upon the hard, concrete stairs, feet and hands tied up with a gorilla grip around my ankles. There is no way out of this. I'm struggling to even wiggle my hands now. As I'm pulled up further and further, a surge of power goes through me. But with my newfound strength, I break the ties bound in me and hop up onto my feet. Shouldn't I have done that, I say. The powerful punch to the chest, I send the goon flying metres backwards. And as a half dozen come charging in from the staircase, I don't even break a sweat. As they surround me from every direction, a low leg sweep brings every one of them to the ground, gasping for air. See something in the distance, some kind of bright blur. Anna, is that you? The light shoots across the room. Stupid boy, should have stayed at home with your mother, it taunts. It shoots to the other side of the room now. Where's your friend? It says again. This time it flies closer to me and the boy fades into a figure. Hermes, I say angrily. Hello, son. Son, I say. I should have known. With his wing shoes, he flies a little closer. Stop this mess. You're ruining Melbourne, I yell. I'd rather not, he responds. In a split millisecond, he charges me and makes solid contact with my face which pushes me into the ground, leaving a dent in the floor. This is how it all ends. A flickering light in my eye at the top level of the Eureka Tower, without anyone by my side, takes another step towards me, peering down on me, a defeated mess. Lights out, Anna yells while whacking Hermes with a hammer in the back of the head. Chops me up, and I can't help but ask, could he possibly be dead? A god hath the ability to die, if killed by a demigod of thy descent. And I raise from him. So we did it, Mac. We jump up and celebrate out of pure joy. When I returned home, the news had spread like wildfire. In only a matter of weeks, Melbourne had re-entered Australia, and President Herman was went down as one of the cruelest dictators to ever live. Life was definitely not back to normal. It was better. Anna had moved in after we found out that we're related, since she was currently living at home alone, and Mum was out of hospital and recovering from shock. I guess that there just comes a time when you have to choose between turning the page and closing the book. Now I didn't like what the next page had to offer.